What's up, everybody? Josh Tapp here again, and welcome back to the Lucky Titan Podcast. So today, we have Sean Shepard with us here on the mic, and Sean and I are here to talk about how to find product market fit, which, you know, for a lot of people is one of the hardest questions that they try to answer when they're starting their business. So I'm really excited to be talking about this with Sean. So, Sean, will you introduce yourself and uh, tell us something interesting about yourself that most people don't know? <laughs> yeah, Sean Shepard. Uh, thanks for having me, Josh. Um, founding uh, partner at GrowthX and GrowthX Academy. We're a seed stage venture capital fund. We have a market development accelerator focused on helping our companies develop their markets and make money, as opposed to most accelerators that are focused on helping companies develop products and, and raise money. We have GrowthX Academy, which is a way to, to train talented individuals that want to work in growth roles and in, in high-tech uh, startups. Uh, we have a corporate innovation practice that works with large corporations to help them commercialize new innovations, invest corporate venture, run, run open innovation projects. Um, we have uh, a studios program, which I think is probably well suited for your audience based on what you're telling me, which is where we apply our market acceleration program framework to helping uh, scale-ups get to that next level. Uh, through market development and uh, new revenue channels and and uh, and ways to scale, um, and um, and we we help build ecosystems like we have out here in Silicon Valley for uh, communities around the world. Uh, something interesting about me? Yes, you asked me that beforehand. Um, <laughs> uh, there, there's a there's a few of them. I mean, uh, I could I could go on, but uh, like one is is I helped select uh, uh, and elect the uh, the president the current president of the Ukraine, and that was a complete accident. Um, and, uh, somebody took my idea and actually ran with it. And, uh, now you've got a new president in the Ukraine. Um, <laughs> another is, another is, uh, another is, I, say that, you know, <laughs> yeah. another is, is I played golf every day for two weeks with Michael Jordan in the summer of 1993, just before he announced his retirement, his first retirement from basketball. And I think that's pretty much relevant given the last dance that, that just came out and everybody's been watching it. Yeah. It reminded me of, of my time with him and what an interesting and competitive fellow he is. And he's everything you think he is. If you watch the last dance, by the way, he's fantastic. And uh, quick, quick story about that. I'm, I'm standing on uh, I'm standing in the parking lot at the Chardonnay golf club in Napa Valley, California. And I'm a young golf pro. I'm getting ready to go out to the range to do golf school. And the head pro drives up and out of the car comes Michael Jordan and the head pro. And he goes, Hey Sean, how you doing? I'm so great. Roger, how are you? He says, well, meet, well, you know who this is. And I said, <laughs> I do. It's good to meet you. And he looks at me with a real serious, stern face, and his immediate response is, It's a good day for an ass whooping, huh? <laughs> and I said, My immediate response was, Are you given or are you taken? And, <laughs> and he says, Why? You got game? I said, I can play. He says, Let's go. I said, I can't. I'm teaching a golf school this morning. He's, When do you get off? I said, Three o'clock. He says, I'll be here. And sure enough, three o'clock, he was sitting there in his golf cart. Uh, waiting for me in his bright blue silk uh, uh, Air Jordan uh, golf slacks, which were just horrendous. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and so yeah, yeah we went out with anybody else, but it's Michael Jordan wearing his own pants. So you know, <laughs> absolutely. And then we stand on the first tee, and he's like, "What do you want to play for?" I said, "Whatever makes you feel uncomfortable, Michael." And he starts <laughs> laughing uh, because I was making nothing at this point, right? I'm probably making fifty dollars a day in tips teaching golf. So. Um, uh, so anyway, we had a great time. We ended up playing golf every afternoon for like the two weeks that he was there. Um, and he couldn't have been uh, nicer, but he's also highly competitive. He's not a degenerate gambler, but he's definitely a, a, a addicted to competition. Yeah. <laughs> so that was, 
there's something most people don't know. See, and that's a really cool story. And I guess the one question all of us have is who won the tournaments? So did you, did you? Beat oh, I, I made more money off of him in two weeks than I made that entire summer. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Greg, I'm going to bet you my entire month's wages. And he's like, done. <laughs> Didn't matter. That every shot awesome. we had to have a, we had to have a bet just on, on about every scenario, but it was yeah. fun. <laughs> Well, that's really awesome. And, and Sean, thanks for sharing that story. I think a lot of us, um, you know, that's, that's a dream of ours to work with people like, like Michael Jordan and getting to see, you know, rub shoulders with some super high level people. And I think that's the power of this podcast is people being able to rub shoulders with people like you. So Sean, I know we could go in for days about your background and, and really the success that you've seen. And a lot of people will be able to see that in the show notes, but you know, tell us a little bit about, you know, what's, what really is working for you right now when it comes to finding product market fit? So I think it, it always starts with um, there's three things that um, everyone needs to pursue when they're trying to find fit for a product in the market. The number one and most important thing is, is the truth. To find the truth about where your product fits in a market and what to do about it. The second is to create a functional learning organization out of the team of people responsible for pursuing that truth, knowing that they have limited time, money, and resources to find it um, and do it in the most capitally efficient and resource efficient way possible. Um, and then the third is can you find predictable, profitable, scalable revenue along the way, or at least indications of it? Um, and don't be afraid to pivot. 50% of funded startups in the Valley pivot at least once. Uh, a third pivot at least twice. Um, and that's of the ones that are most successful. Um, the problem is, is that most failure exists due to markets and people, not products and technology. And yet most founders are very much focused on their product and their technology. And they don't give equal weight to the importance of market development because we now live in this uh, new economy where I call it the age of applied technology, where it's never been easier or cheaper to get products built and launched. Right. And as a result, it's also never been more difficult or expensive to get real traction for them. So we need to become much more oriented around problems and people instead of products and tech and focus our areas on the things that help us um, learn quickly about where that product should go. And this really applies regardless of whether or not it's a B2C product or a B2B product. It's a technology, it's a service, it's a widget. It doesn't matter because it's about the, it's about the dynamic of learning um, when you take something someplace new. I call it H, everything is H to H. It's all human to human. And at this stage, it's not about the stage of a company, it's about the stage of a product in the market. And so my framework was just really designed to solve my own problems as an investor. Right. Um, I'm a serial entrepreneur turned investor turned frustrated investor because companies weren't weren't growing and they weren't growing not because again they couldn't build a product they were they were they weren't growing because they couldn't build a market right uh, and society as a whole doesn't teach us this stuff kids don't grow up say I want to be in sales um, there it's it, there's it's a, there's a negative stereotype associated with it right um, and when they teach marketing in school, it's the, it's the old school four P's, which is just so out of date. It's not even funny. Yeah. It doesn't, um, doesn't even work hardly. <laughs> no. um, and so, so people have to learn the hard way or they don't have the skills at all. Um, or they, or they underemphasize it or they just think their shit's going to fly off the shelves because they built it. And it's amazing. Just ask them. 
Right. Um, so a lot of founder and confirmation bias associated with that as well. Uh, or they just look at sales professionals as a commodity. Um, and in today's market, you can't do that. Um, I would argue that, that in today's market, um, market developers are more valuable than product developers. Right. And so promoting that idea and, uh, and getting people much more focused on market first, product second, um, is a, is a, is a big re part of, of what we do to help reduce the failure rate and improve the scale rate. Yeah. Well, and you bring up an interesting point there because you know, you're talking about don't build the product, build the market. And a lot of people say, okay, well, you know, what does that mean? What, what does it building a market even look like? And so when you're counseling people to, to build a market, what's kind of the first steps that you direct them to? I mean, is yeah. that we actually have three very clear milestones and anybody who's listening to this can go to growthx.com and go to the hashtag GXMXP series and see every step in the market acceleration program laid out with a concept and even documentation you can use as a framework to follow along. The idea is to just ask the right questions in the right order so that you can determine where patterns might exist. And then you construct the hypothesis and you test it and you iterate on it until you validate it or you pivot. Um, and once you do that enough and you develop the patterns or the patterns emerge, um, product market fit emerges with it, but it, it unfolds in three key milestones. The first is market foundation and discovery. Second is market messaging and outreach. And the third is market results. So market foundation and discovery, uh, the structure has a set of goals focus and outcomes. A goal is what you want to be able to do. The focus areas is what you actually have to do systematically to achieve that goal. And then the outcomes are the actual tangible deliverables. And they're not always revenue related. They're tied to learning because learning will ultimately lead to that revenue if you allow it to do it. Um, but in the first one, what we're really trying to do is figure out what resources you have to execute today, how they're allocated and are they allocated the proper way? Because one of the biggest failure reasons is the missed allocation of resources. Right. Um, and that means money, that means time, that means people, that means expertise. Um, and then the second thing that we immediately do after that is we want to look at what's your best uh, initial customer profile to go to market with or series of those. I like to say it's not about looking for Mr. Right. It's about looking for Mr. Right now because it's a different mindset and psychology of the people that are willing to take a risk on you um, when you're new. Because this whole dynamic, one of the, the metaphors I use is you're, when you're taking a, a, something someplace new, you're essentially a stranger with a strange offering, going to a strange place, asking other strangers to do strange things with you. <laughs> and, you don't, and you don't necessarily realize that from your perspective, but that's how you're perceived. Right. If you don't have credibility if you don't have a familiar relationship with the market. And so as a, as a result, it requires a very different approach not just a series of method, not just a methodology or a, or a series of steps or the right questions to ask in the right order so you can do it more efficiently. Um, but it's really about how you do it. You're not out there selling to customers or you're, what you're doing is recruiting partners, people who, who will share your vision, respect and understand your current reality and be willing to go on that journey with you and take the risks necessary to do it and give you the two things that you need the most, their time, and the truth because that's really what you're looking for for a success a mutually beneficial outcome and relationship at that stage so it's developing that initial customer profile and then 
establishing a market milestone that says, in order for me to find product market fit or learn what I want to learn, I need to have X amount of of wins. And then you define a win as, I need three customers to run through a proof of concept with me within this period of time, under these conditions, with these criteria, in order for me to get what I need. And then what do they need? And then you put those two things together. And then you reverse engineer a funnel from the bottom up and say, in order for me to get three wins, I need 10 qualified opportunities. In order to get 10 qualified opportunities, I need to have 30 qualified conversations. In order to get 35, 30 qualified conversations, I got to reach out to 300 humans, right? Everything's a funnel. So you can reverse engineer outcomes from the bottom up. So that's milestone one. Milestone two is all about how do I now, now that I know who I want to go after, and I've prioritized for it, I know how to allocate my resources towards it, and I've got a, an, an organizational objective in the form of a market milestone. Um, how do I talk to these people in a way that gets them to tell me the truth and give me their time? Because we live in a world now, Josh, where people don't tell us the truth if it creates more work or conflict. So part of that approach of acknowledging that you are a stranger going to other strangers is, is positioning yourself in such a way that it makes it safe and easy for them to give you the, tell you the truth and give you their time. Um, and then you learn from that. And that's building a market message map and a series of value propositions and selling propositions centered around a value hypothesis that I think I can help you in this way. And I'd love to know if that's true. And then you build a conversational framework around it, not a script, but a conversational framework that helps you find fit with those people you're trying to recruit right now. And no is the second best answer. Right, the quicker you can disqualify someone from your from your funnel, the the quicker you can get on to the right people. Because once again, opportunity costs can kill a company when you have limited time, money, and resources and runway. Yeah, uh, like one of the biggest things I see constantly is I see a B two B SaaS company that um, that has six months of runway in the bank, trying to work on eighteen month sales cycles with an enterprise company that just doesn't move at the same pace. You're a fly with a three day half life talking to an elephant that's going to live for 80 years. Right. It's just not a fit. Right. So you've got to figure out stage relevant partners uh, to learn from. And then milestone and and then, and then out through that messaging, we actually set up and perform outreach and execute campaigns that will allow us to attract the right kinds of customer profiles in, have those conversations and learn and then iterate on messaging based on those experiences. And then milestone three is all about uh, market response and results. It's all right. What am I learning? Um, Is everything that I've initially hypothesized in milestone one and two still true? And if not, what's true now? Uh, until those patterns begin to emerge. And then how do I drive this iterative learning loop between the market and the product team, right? The role of the market developer is to be the translator between the market and the product team. Whereas I like to say the humans and the engineers in tech. (laughs) (laughs) Um, They can talk to humans and engineers. Um, But the idea is that you start to build a more fully formed product because 90% of what you take to market initially is wrong. You just need to accept that. The goal is to be 89% wrong tomorrow based on what you learned today. And so if you can drive that in a very efficient way, you can change the entire structure of how the whole world um, looks at and invests in opportunities. You can make them much more capitally efficient early and then pour more fire on when it's ready to scale once that product market fit has been found. And what is that product market fit, by the way? That is when the market is pulling you and you're not pushing against it. 
things get easier. Pricing is clear. Contracts are clear. Uh, the structure of relationships get more clear. Um, it's e- it's, the sales cycles get shorter. Uh, the demand goes up and your ability to fulfill that demand becomes more challenging. That's what product market fit is and feels like. Yeah. Uh, and you will find it if you do all the appropriate things, ask those questions, get those answers and adjust accordingly. Yeah. Well, and Sean, let's put this into context a little bit because you know a lot of our listeners have built their company with maybe one or two employees or partners, or maybe they're outsourcing everything. So yeah. who, who is the person who should be responsible for this initially? Does it need to be the CEO or should this be something you can outsource or? I don't, you don't, you, you shouldn't outsource your learning. Uh, do not outsource your learning. The fastest, the, the fastest path to learning is direct experience. In fact, it's the number one principle of accelerated learning in GrowthX Academy, direct experience. I don't invest in founders who aren't responsible for closing their first initial cohort of customers. Yeah. Um, they have to have that experience themselves. Um, we don't invest in solo founders oftentimes because they don't have the balance between product and market development on their team. Unless they've been a solo founder that's won in the past, that to me, they're not investable. I want to see somebody who owns product and I want to see somebody who owns market and I want to see them work together as one. That's awesome. And I mean, that will be the advantage of starting with more than one person. So you can you know, diversify that. I, I mean, we find that all the time when we work with, with newer entrepreneurs, especially is they're, they're so excited about the product. And like you said, they're, they're not building that market. And I really love the way that you you frame that with your framework because it's talking about how do you, you know, identify the people and their problems. And then you're going to bring your product that's 90% incorrect to the, to the beginning of it. And then you're going to iterate and change. And do you find that most companies ever get to the 100% point where they're 100% correct product for their correct market? No, I don't think there's, I don't even think that's such a thing. I think it's an endless pursuit of perfection that just is unattainable. And here's why, because every use case and every activity creates new information, new insights, and a new set of problems and challenges. And so uh, I wrote this article and this piece, and I've done a keynote on it many times called The Lasting Mover Advantage. Um, And I I lay out that Google wasn't the first search engine and that Facebook wasn't the first social network and that Amazon wasn't the first big e-commerce player and Netflix wasn't the first live streaming environment, right? Um, But why do they last? What's different about them? What's different about them is they're, they're lifelong learners. They never stop trying to define new use cases, leverage the data for key actionable insights, use that to drive their customer's behavior and ultimately own the relationship. And in the age of applied technology, the most defensible thing any of us have are relationships. Yeah. I love that. Well, and, and the thing that's kept all of them going, and I really love your example there is, I mean, they've, they've stuck to what they know, which is that, that data interpretation and continue to iterate. I, I love that. I, I know that, you know, when I was doing my MBA, they talked about that a lot. You know, when you're, you know, if you're not iterating, you're dying. <laughs> Very few companies will survive, especially once you've surpassed the multiple million dollar mark in your business. You're not going to survive very long if you don't iterate. Quickly. Well, you know, now, I mean, you know, in 1970, the average tenure on the S&P 500 was 70 years. Today, it's right. about 12. Yeah. <laughs> and, and there's, and there, and it's, and it's shrinking. Uh, and, and many of the biggest companies in the world haven't even, you haven't even heard of yet. Right. Uh, and, uh, and will continue to grow. 
because of those sorts of things, but they can all be disrupted out. I mean, Bezos even said it to the market publicly last year. I'm worried about whether or not Amazon's even going to be around in 2030. I mean, think about that. Yeah. Right. But what do they do better than anybody? And this is what I love. They don't make anything except all of us satisfied. Right. That obsession with, uh, with the customer experience is what's brought them to the forefront. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Well, you've, you've dropped a lot of value bombs here. <laughs> I, I hope people will go back and study this episode. It's one of those ones you're gonna have to listen to multiple times. And really I map the process out and, and Sean, you actually have a place people can go to learn more about, you know, the product market fit and basically your entire framework. So where can people go to gain access to that? Sure. They can go to uh, growthx.com. As I said, they can look at the uh, hashtag GXMXP series. They can email me directly if they want to talk about uh, our studios program and how we can help scale ups uh, um, and, uh, and startups find product market fit. Uh, Sean at growthx.com. I'm always here. Awesome. And then they can follow me on Twitter at Sean A. Shepard. Uh, connect with me on LinkedIn. You know, Google me. I'm out there. <laughs> <laughs> You'll find him. <laughs> He's visible. Yeah. Well, Sean, before we sign off today, can you give us just one last parting piece of guidance? You know, what's the one thing you'd like to just stick in the mind of our, of our listeners here? Never fry bacon in the nude. <laughs> Have to explain that one. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think mindset is everything and do everything you can to be a learn it all and not a know it all. Love that. Learn it all, not a know it all. Well, Sean, thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your wisdom with us. And we will catch you later. Thanks, Josh.